Hello, my name is Katie Freeman and I am your host of the Maker Mom podcast and this weekly Wonder Women segment. This week's Wonder Woman segment is with Eleanor Dewey, who is a wood turner uh, located close to the Denver, Colorado area. But before we hop into chatting with Eleanor, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to all of the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, Laura, uh, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaimed Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much. I appreciate your ongoing support of the podcast. And make sure you hang around to the end of the podcast so you can find out how you can also support the podcast. All right, with no further ado, here is Eleanor Dewey. Since I know that you've listened to the podcast before, you probably know that I have my guests introduce themselves. So I'm going to let you do that. Yeah. Um, I'm Eleanor Modden Dewey, and I'm a woodworker and wood turner here in Denver, Colorado, aka the occupied lands of the Rapo and Cheyenne, <laughs> aka my hometown, pretty much. I've been here since I was seven. So it's, okay. All right. it's home to me. Um, yeah. I've, I've only ever like seen the airport of Denver, Colorado. I've never actually like been there. Um, yeah, we're, we're a flyover for a lot of people, but yeah, once COVID is over, you're very welcome to come out here. It's a beautiful place. It is one place we were actually, uh, my family, we're going to take a very safe family vacation but we are gonna like leave our little you know bubble here Mm -hmm. um just because we have to we're going like absolutely bonkers um but one of the places we looked at was Colorado because we were like well if we like stayed at like a place like in the middle of wilderness like there's nobody around you know type thing and it would at least change the scenery but we're not allowed to come to Colorado, so we will not be coming to Colorado. Sorry, I don't make the rules. I, it's okay. It's okay. Iowa's one of those, it's like, no, no, Iowa's not allowed to go to Colorado. <laughs> That's real. Yeah, it it's been one of those things that luckily we have like a family cabin, like an hour and a half away in the mountains. We've been like, me and my spouse, we've been heading to the mountains, go camping and Mm-hmm. avoid the people and still like get out of the chaos of the city and stuck at home yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah I truly wish we like 
it's one of those things, you know, vacation home has been on the list of like something that we want for a very long time. And right now I really, really wish we had that already because it would be nice. But Airbnb is in a clinch and, uh, you know, as long as they're doing the CDC cleaning, we're, we're good to go. <laughs> right. Bring them Lysol wipes and you're good. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. Well, let's talk a bit about um, growing up. So you said you've been in there. Oh, you have Kitty as well. Um, <laughs> He's loud too. So That's hopefully okay. he doesn't enter and like will, whatever, jump in too much. Yes. Um, it will be, it will be totally fine. Um, but you said you've been in Colorado since you were seven. Um, but what was it like growing up? What kind of things were you interested in? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm the baby of the family. I have two older brothers um, and we grew up right outside of Denver. Um, and thankfully we kind of lived in the, the, the boonies of the suburbs where I could go out and walk into the prairie and be a kid and explore. Um, and so I'm definitely a child of the prairie. I love going outside. That was kind of my safe haven when I was little. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was like woodworking. My family is very much the attitude of if the house needs to get painted, we have three children and like <laughs> two of us. So we're right. going to paint it. Right. If we need a new tile, we're going to rip it up and make the kids lay the tile. If we have a basement that needs refinished, we're going to like have the kids hauling drywall, which at the time I was not so excited about it, but now I'm really grateful. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for it because I grew up definitely um, having that attitude of like, yeah, you just learn how to do it and you fix it. Right. Um, and so I definitely had a lot of projects like that, just like playing outside in the garage with my dad's tools. And um, I was a little skateboard kid. I was a little skater girl. So mm -hmm. I built some skateboard ramps and stuff like that. One of my birthdays, my dad gifted me. He was like, whatever skateboard like ramp you want to make, I'll make it. We can buy the lumber. Um, which was intense because I'm, of course, picked like the most extravagant. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took a long ass time and my dad, by the end of it, was like not happy about <laughs> offering. Um, but, but yeah, so that was kind of my life as a kid doing lots of work um, mm -hmm. around the house on weekends while my friends got to go play video games and stuff. Um, <laughs> but now I know how to use tools. That's right. Um, you know, my grandparents, um, they're the same way. They're super handy. Anytime we go, when I was a kid, spend summers in Utah at their little ranch. Mm -hmm. um, it was ranch tours all day, every day. That's what we do on holiday gatherings. Everyone chips in and we cut up a bunch of dead trees and stack firewood. And, and that's like our version of fun. So, Is that where your family's originally from? Utah? Yeah, both sides of my family, Utah for a long time. Got um, a lot of Mormons, a lot of ex-Mormons. I was going to ask that. <laughs> yeah. um, thankfully for me, uh, my parents left the church when they were young. 
Um, you know, no judgment to any Mormons, but that's not my life. Um, so. No, but I could see uh, making, you know, uh, your, how you identify who you are would be very difficult if you were growing up in the church. Um, yeah, yeah. So as like a young um, queer kid, a young trans woman in middle school, high school, um, it was hard enough being in the suburbs and you know mm-hmm. like however long it's been over a decade like um you know times have really changed it was hard for me in high school um growing up and so I'm glad it wasn't harder like right. being in the church um thankfully my my family you know for Mormons family is super important and I think that that kind of like family over everything like so that trumps some of the um yeah yeah so yeah. my grandma who's like in her 80s she didn't miss a beat when I came out to her as trans and as queer um she loves my spouse to death she's the sweetest supportive grandma I could ask for um my other grandparents they're, they're the same way um that's awesome so, I mean, that really is, um, that's not a story I think that gets to be told very often. So, (laughs) um, and I'll stick a pin in what you said about things are better now, because I don't know if that is for sure the case, but, um, and we'll, yeah, (laughs) we can chat about that more in a bit. But, um, so turning is primarily like what you do now, right? As far as woodworking um, is concerned. Yeah, so I started going to um, school at Red Rocks Community College here in Denver. They have a really, really amazing woodworking program. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they kind of have like three schools, right? It's like the Luthery program, which I don't touch. I'm like, I'm not interested in doing violins and guitars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do furniture um, and wood turning. So like a lot of people, I can kind of came into it, into the intro class where you learn kind of all your basics. You make some simple projects. And one of it is like a, a turning demo. You turn a mallet. Um, mm-hmm. And I got hooked. I loved it. (laughs) It's such a different type of like woodworking, you know, you're controlling the tool. um, Mm -hmm. You're taking one big chunk of log and totally transforming it just in like one machine, one step. Um, It's really satisfying for a lot of woodworking. It's like a painfully long process, of course, (laughs) which is its own kind of satisfying. But there's just like something really beautiful about going outside chainsawing a little log putting it mm-hmm. on the lathe and a couple of hours later you got something really beautiful oh i know i took um i went to a community college palomar community college which is in um northern san diego county in um, california when we lived out there for a few years um and i only i did only take one turning class and probably it's for me, it's most memorable because uh, during taking that class, like very shortly after the semester started, um, I successfully got pregnant with our oldest, um, 
which I know, which for me, our story, he was try number 10. So it was one of those, Ooh. like, you know, it was yeah. really amazing. And then it was just like standing there trying to turn and dealing with like morning <laughs> sickness was not like, that's the memory, one of the memories I have with that. But, but also like, I remember thinking to myself, like, now I get why people get hooked on this because it's like instant gratification. You are correct. There is no other, like, besides for me, like power carving is second to like turning where you can get to a, depending on the size of the project can get to a finished product, like for sure within a day and usually within a matter of like hours um, and nothing else like that exists in woodworking. Like everything's, you know, this long process, which like you said, there's reward in, in that. Absolutely. But, um, not the same type of reward. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, me and my spouse, we own our home, which I'm really thankful for, but we don't have a garage. So I converted one of our rooms, um, into a wood shop but it's it's small it's mm -hmm. like 12 by 12 basically mm -hmm. um and so for wood turning you know if you have a nice lathe and a bandsaw a chainsaw a drill press is nice mm -hmm. and your grinder that's pretty much it you're good um and so that appealed to me too um just in terms of like starting a small business um having your overhead low not mm -hmm. having to buy a ton of machines and have a ton of space and rent space or find some bench space um, to, to do your work. Um, and so that was kind of also a draw for me um, because I definitely love flat work, the flat earth world of woodworking. I'm mm -hmm. all about it too. Um, I really love furniture design and, um, and bent lamination especially it kind of brings the whole curves back into woodworking like turning mm -hmm. does. Um, and so ultimately I would really love to do more of that work. Um, and I'm kind of working right now with some friends who live um, about three hours South in the mountains. Um, and they're just finishing up building a really giant wood shop um, that we're going to um, stick some really huge machines in and, is kind of the perfect place to do bigger pieces. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my plan is do smalls in Denver, in my home studio, um, and then go down there for um, bigger projects. And, mm -hmm. and then that's nice because, you know, when you're doing tables, when you're doing doors, when you're doing bigger cabinets and things like that, even if it's just to flip the tabletop over to sand, you really kind of need somebody there. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so there I have like two friends who are also into woodworking and, um, and that makes it so we can kind of have our own little co-op and mm -hmm. help each other out without having to like hire some extra hands and worry about um, them screwing something up. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of the next, next step for me. Mm -hmm. Um. So you went, I mean, did you get the full, like, degree then through the community college? Like, is it, is it in both furniture and turning? Yeah, the way they have it, they have a bunch of 
like certificate programs. Mm -hmm. um, and so have like the, I have the advanced wood turning certificate, I took all those classes. Um, and then for furniture, um, there's kind of like beginner, immediate, like, mm -hmm. I don't know what they're called, but right. um, there's also like an associate's degree associate, associated with it. Um, yes. <laughs> and so I've been kind of going after that. Um, and that makes it so that I can like take some furniture programs, take wood turning, um, take like CNC laser, bent lamination, mm -hmm. um, some things that are like a little different than the normal furniture track. Mm -hmm. um, and I was about to finish, um, was about to do chair making is like the last, the furniture mm -hmm. three program. Um, and right in the middle of it, COVID, decided to rear its ugly head mm -hmm. and shut school down. Um, it's not really possible to do chair right. making online. Right. Um, so that was a big disappointment. I have like all my wood bought. We're to the point where we're just like, I built my full scale model. I'm mm -hmm. ready to start. I have this dream of this beautiful chair. Um, <laughs> and now I'm like, I don't know. We're supposed to start up in the fall, but it's kind of still up in the air of like how much shop time there's going to be. Um, what's nice about that program is usually without a global pandemic, you have open shop right. um, and access to the shop for eight hours mm -hmm. a day. Um, and it's really amazing to just have bench space, machines, mm -hmm. anything you can really ask for. Um, dominoes, multi-routers, right. all the fancy stuff. Um, and so without that, um, my chair has just been staying in my, my dreams and non-reality. So <laughs> not really. I have, a, I have like I, a couple more classes done to do, but, right. um, but those are kind of on hold. Yeah, that does really, really suck. I had um, so the program where I was taking the classes had a very similar program to what you're talking about and pretty much almost all the same classes that you mentioned. Um, and I too, I was, I was going to be taking bent lamination and um, advanced finishing, which I was excited for both. And um, my mom suffered a massive stroke. So we picked up and left California and moved back to Iowa and um and it, it took uh it was not until after our youngest was born a year after our youngest was born that I got back into woodworking because it was kind of like I got spoiled with that shop you know the shop at the school and having access to like planers and jointers that are things that cost like tens of thousands of dollars that I could never afford on my own yeah um so it was one of those like, well, how can I work? I don't have the equipment. And it it just became like a matter of like having to change my frame of mind to be like, I can still build what I want to build. It will probably take 10 times longer, but I can still do it with the few tools that I have. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it always sucks when, when life comes in and um, interrupts that yeah. dream. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it's like 
you're blessed that you can go back and be with your mom but at the same time it's it's definitely hard when you can't finish out your your goals everything mm, takes a right. turn right um yeah and i think you know learning out of school where you have access to so many machines it's really valuable um because of that reason right it's like right. you're not normally going to have access to all these machines and being able to learn on them also figure out like what it is that you like to do what tools you right. want to use um before you invest a bunch of money mm -hmm. but then at the same time it does spoil you like yes. <laughs> i i am like now i have to be really creative i got a six inch jointer how the hell am i gonna like flatten this 12 inch wide board um yeah. And that's definitely where like YouTube maker community comes in handy because um, mm -hmm. there's got to be somebody out there in their garage, like coming up with some ingenious way yep. to <laughs> the board without like busting out your hand planes for hours. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so is this, I mean, is this your soul? Like this is what you do for work right now as well? Or do you have like additional work too yeah so um it is now which is awesome um uh, and that was kind of the goal when I started school a few years ago um I had been in nonprofit world for like the last 12 years um mm -hmm. doing mostly working at LGBTQ organization doing survivor support um mm -hmm. and youth organizing um, which I love and is awesome work. That's where I met like my spouse and from her organization. And that's where I met a lot of my friends. And that's definitely where my heart is still, but it's also just taxing, taxing work. Um, yes. And I really burnt out. I was just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. I realized I wasn't the like the community organizer, the advocate the supporter um that people needed and deserved um i needed to scale back and take some time to like work on myself and um and you know i think a lot of times we think about self-care and taking care of ourselves as selfish work um but it's really selfless because mm -hmm. if you're not able to be your full self and strong and healthy then you're not really able to help anybody. Right. You're just kind of kidding yourself. Um, yeah. And so I got just a admin job at a health foundation doing pushing paper and started going to school at night. Um, and then I just got to a point where I was like, I can't do it. I can't, I can't work in this office job anymore. Um, and luckily my spouse, she's got full-time job and mm -hmm. so she's bringing home the bacon um, <laughs> and is allowing me you know the freedom mm -hmm. to be able to um, go into school and go into woodworking full-time um, and kind of launch my business so mm -hmm. I'm nowhere near profitable yet I'm hoping amen to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so less supportive spouses exactly um, making the dream a reality <laughs> the steady income um, that's right <laughs> but i'm gonna make it work I'm like, that's, 
someday, yes. someday, someday, pass you. That's I'm right. Bring in big bucks. <laughs> so we'll see. That is that's a frequent conversation around my household. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yes, thank thank goodness for supportive uh, partners that you know allow us to kind of go after our dream but I think it also speaks to like what you said like because I've had these conversations I would not be as nice of a partner or mother if I don't get to do some making um Mm -hmm. and COVID has really proved that out because there was a solid you know at least two months where I didn't make anything one in part because uh both kids were home and I was, you know, uh, they took up the entire day type thing as they should. Um, and, and two, because I just, as COVID hit, I, I had a small injury in the shop that I had to allow time to heal. Um, so it was like, it all compounded onto each other, but it was like two months of not making. And by the end of that, I was like, not a pleasant person to be around. So (laughs) Um, I get that. <laughs> it's like you, you have to let me make, otherwise I just don't function well. So I totally yeah. understand that. Um, I definitely, I have thought many a times and I've talked with many people on the podcast, how making is essentially therapy in so many ways. Um, and it's a practice of mindfulness in and of itself. Um, because you have to be ever present while you are working. Um, And so there's, you know, so many people out there that have um, traumatic life experiences that woodworking really does help them work through. And it's been, a, it is a dream and passion of mine of, you know, one day forming a space uh, that makes making available and affordable uh, specifically to people in marginalized communities like LGBTQ, um, people of color, um, women, and how how all of those communities intersect with each other as well. Um, Because uh, I strongly believe in the power of working with your hands to help in so many ways, uh, your mind and spirit. So I guess I would ask, like, especially with your history of, you know, your nonprofit work, like, do you see that intersection of that work with, you know, the making work that you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. I I can't help it. You know, my organizer brain is still (laughs) always on. um, And I, part of it, you know, going into the work is the reality is that a lot of our customers and the people that you're going to be making a living on is like kind of making furniture for the 1%. Um, Right. (laughs) It's really, and, um, and so I kind of struggled with that at first of just thinking about, you know, how do I hold my values and Mm -hmm. this work um, knowing that I'm going to be you know, having to make furniture that's really not accessible to most people in the world. Um, and I really kind of realized that that's not the work. It's not like figuring out how to make my stuff extremely cheap. Mm-hmm. It's about 
bringing people into this industry. Um, and so I have a similar dream of starting a cooperative, starting some kind of um, shop that makes it possible for mm -hmm. young people of color, young LGBTQ folks, um, people who aren't in woodworking. Um, you know, going from being in an LGBTQ social justice organization to being in the shop, it really was like a kind of culture shock just in terms of like, I was really in a bubble. Most of the people in my life are queer or trans. Most mm -hmm. people are people of color. Um, and so to then be back in a world where it's like almost all white straight men um, was definitely interesting. Um, All right, I'm super excited for this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor is Tool Mom Bonnie or Tool Mom and Company. So Tool Mom and Company is for all ages, genders. Uh, they have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts or clothing or both. Um, her products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind, and you can check her out at www.toolmomstore.com or find her on Instagram under toolmombonnie, and Bonnie is B-O-N-N-I-E. Uh, you can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the coupon code MAKERMOM. So I have two of her mugs. I have one that says, I believe, what is it? Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> one is like the definition of a tool woman and the other one is just like a circular saw with flames coming off of it and I believe it says uh, go girl on it and they're super fun mugs. I, w I love drinking coffee out of them in the morning. If it's not out of my Wonder Woman mug, it is out of one of those two mugs. So you definitely should at least check out the mugs, if nothing else. And remember, extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. All right, thank you, Tool Mom Bonnie. And let's get back to the episode. And, you know, for the most part, I've had like a really positive experience at the school. Um, but what I think really is glaring and like lacking is like any kind of... Um, proactive approach to um, diversifying the industry um, that, you know, you have like supportive men, um, supportive white people who want to see more women, mm -hmm. more queer folks, more people of color in the shop, in the industry, but um, don't know where to start, are too afraid to start, and, um, and don't have like the infrastructure set up to make it happen right. um right. and so that's kind of where i'm like i do have some of that experience um and knowledge working in nonprofits. um and so you know step one was like i gotta learn this stuff on my own and like i am that demographic i need to just like pay attention to myself and make sure i feel comfortable and good right. and um and when i'm in like a place being able to kind of proactively organize to get more people in the woodworking program at Red Rocks, um, mm -hmm. like starting some kind of co-op or support network um, in Denver and Colorado, um, bringing young people in the shop. Because the reality is that it's like, it is a 
it's a struggle for sure. It's not an accounting job where you can like make big bucks right away right. pretty much anywhere, but it is a viable career. Um, and I think part of what attracted me to fine woodworking is the fact that like you can do a lot of it on your own um, mm-hmm. or in a small shop. Um, and the reality with like construction and carpentry, electricians, plumbing, those kinds of trades, you're usually working on a big crew um, and it's hard when you're the one other, <laughs> when you're yep. the one woman, the one trans person, the one queer person, the one person of color, the one outside of the norm. Um, and, and so what kind of um, drew me to find woodworking is the actual craft of it. I love that. But it also is something that is really ripe to have a change in mm-hmm. who is doing it. Um, and I think you see that with like, you know, more DIYers, like content creator, kind of Instagram makers and people. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, they don't really have a lot of access to the like real deal fine woodworking programs. Um, and so, you know, I would love to like go out and visit Baltimore, a, a workshop of our own. I've been yep. kind of like, seeing what they're doing out there and it seems really awesome um and part of me is just like trying to find other like-minded um women and queer folks and um and people out there who are trying to be proactive and do that work and learn together and try to make it happen so and you know woodworking it also provides me like a mental state that mm-hmm. I can then at night go and volunteer. Um, right. Like I have the emotional capacity where I'm like not just done at the end of the day and I have the energy to go organize, go be a volunteer again, um, not just be gay for pay, not just be a paid organizer. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been taking advantage of that, of like my spouse, she still works in, um, organizing world, LGBTQ youth, um, Mm -hmm. youth of color work. So I help him out in doing that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's awesome. And I would say you came to the right place. I I feel like if I say it on enough podcasts, it's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) That that a group of us are going to get together and... um, by us, I probably predominantly mean queer women. Um, that seems to be the ones popping up to be like, we need this and we do need this. Um, yeah. And you know, at like at the at Red Rocks and the program, um, there are more and more women coming into the program. And, you know, the way we roll as queer women, most of those women are queer, I would say. Yep. <laughs> 50-50. Yeah, I would say probably a little more than 50 50. Um, so that's always like, it's, it's nice. Um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, usually I'm not the only woman in a class and usually that other woman is a queer woman. Um, and there are some other trans men, trans masculine folks in the program or who have come through it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're around, you know, that's right here. But I would say, um, so I mean, 
I would say, and and feel free to tell me like the the that something is off the table to chat about. But um, <clears throat> I don't get this opportunity very often because um, I've had queer women on as guests of the podcast, but I have not had any trans queer women on as part of the podcast. So thank you very much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, but I would say that even if there are queer women who are going through that program and in a class with you, that does not always equal safe space for you still. Um, because unfortunately, uh, queer women uh, still can hold prejudices just like anybody else. And um, there seems to be a divide, why I don't understand, but there seems to be a divide uh, within the LGBTQ community along several, like it's like, it's like mm -hmm. we all want to take those letters and then do a full stop after each letter instead of understanding mm -hmm. like we are such a small fucking group to begin with. Why do we need to battle within each other? I will never understand that. Um, yeah. But I think it is worth pointing out that for you, like that doesn't always mean still a safe space. And I think what you are talking about when you're saying you were drawn to the craft because you could work alone. What I hear, what pulls at my heartstrings is because I feel the same way. That means it's a safe space. If I am by myself, I am safe yeah. with myself. I am not always safe if I include other people in that space. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. You know, I think like my experience personally in the program with other queer women um, mm -hmm. who are cisgender um, is has been mostly positive. Um, mm -hmm. And I hate to say it, you know, like it's not always about age, but a right. lot of times I it think is. That There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I feel like thankfully through um, through a lot of work and a lot of struggle over decades and decades that um, you know, trans women are being a lot more embraced, trans men are being a lot more embraced by the LGB um, community. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of the second wave feminist ideals that like, had weird backwards views around trans women are starting to get a little stale and old for a younger generation. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's like anything where when you're at the intersection of a lot of identities, it gets, it gets hard. Um, you know, yeah. my experience being in the program, I think a huge part of it is that I am white um, mm -hmm. and that being a trans woman in the space is hard, but being like a black trans woman in that space, being a trans woman of color in that space, it's gonna be like such a different world, such a different yeah. experience. Um, and were there, were there many people, were there, I should start with, were there any people of color in your program? Yeah, but not enough at all. Um, mm -hmm. it's still very, very white, very white. And I feel like, um, you know, my experience there was, I definitely experienced more kind of traditional sexism, um, than transphobia. Um, I am out, but I'm not like, I don't know, people I don't know how people read me, but a lot mm -hmm. of people just read me as a cis girl. Some people read me as a trans woman. Um, I don't really know, but 
I definitely experienced that kind of sexism a, a lot more of just like, oh, like, let me explain to you how to use this tool. Mansplaining um, me, is the me, best, right? <laughs> oh, do you need a hand with that? Let me like carry this for you. Which sometimes I'm like, all right, go ahead. Like, carry it. That's fine. Right. Um, and, but I think the other thing is that I, I definitely felt like racism was a bigger issue. I mean, yeah. we're, they're all issues. It's, it's not about like oppression Olympics. Right. Right. But racism is a huge issue in that shop, in probably every woodworking program in this country, um, in every school. And I mean, it is across the board in everything. Mm -hmm. Systemic racism is a thing, um, but it's very glaring in the woodworking community. Yeah. Um, and just who has access, who is safe. Um, and so you know, I think for me, it's so much of creating safe spaces for LGBTQ folks is really prioritizing and centering LGBTQ folks of color in that process too. Yeah. Because forever, however hard it is just to be a straight woman in the industry, it's like so much harder to be um, a woman of color. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful that there are the people like women of color in mm -hmm. the work um, and in my school because um, God knows they like put up with a lot. Um, and so I have been really grateful to for the few, few folks that I've connected with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, one thing I want to pick up on when you were talking about, like, it's not always a, a, an age or a generation thing. Um, I think that goes for uh, people of color in the woodworking uh, community as well. Like, I feel like the younger generation of makers that is that are coming up um, definitely don't feel threatened or don't see it as anything different if it, if somebody you know a person of color uh is in the craft like it's not seen as like oh that's a weird thing or anything like that um i'm not sure how i'm trying to say this but it's not mm -hmm. it's not seen um as poorly maybe than some of the older generations um but to your point it is very different the world of like the DIY maker community versus like the fine woodworking community. And I think that is because even with social media, um, there's still very much is a system in place and gatekeepers in place mm -hmm. uh, to that community, right? There's, um, there's the gatekeepers for, um, printed stories as far as like publications as far as books as far as magazines and that's still very much even in this day and age how we get our information from from the woodworking fine woodworking community yeah, yeah. um you know even though like uh the magazines have instagram they're not posting like representative stuff um, they're not accepting articles 
very much from representative people, um, they're very much still being like the gatekeepers. And I think until, until you can overthrow the patriarchal system that is in place to find woodworking. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, it's going to be difficult to see that change without us creating our own system and basically making them be irrelevant by creating our own system. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, and part of the gatekeeping, it's like at schools, right. Um, you know, I think just seeing like the Krenov school posted something during the uprisings last month around Black Lives Matter and recognizing that they need to do better and work harder mm-hmm. institutionally to bring in right. um, like um, woodworkers of color and women and other marginalized communities, but especially Black folks. Um, and, you know, it's just like the amount of pushback that you see in these comments from people. Well, you know why that got put out by Krenov, right? You know why that got put off? That's because Laura Mays is it. Um. And that's a, yeah, like Laura Mays being a queer woman is like a huge example of what, why leadership matters um, and why different types of leadership is really important. Um, And, you know, I think extending from that is, after going through this program at Red Rocks, I've been, you know, I initially started trying to find jobs in shops, um, custom yep. shops and woodworking. And, um, and you know, in that world, it's hard to know. It's hard to know, did I not get a callback because I'm a woman or trans? Did I not get a callback because I just don't have enough shop experience? What the reason is, but God knows it's been difficult for me to get even interviews at these places. Um, And, you know, recently I had like two interviews, went into the shop. It seemed like a great fit and then never got a call back at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's what's unfortunate is that like us marginalized folks, whatever identity it is, just the fact that we have to wonder why is is the struggle. Um, Right. And, um, and so that's why definitely my dream is like run a successful business. And part of running that successful business is like being a space to then hire on people who won't necessarily get even called back from other places, being a place where I can like have apprenticeships, um, you know, support other woodworkers, um, who aren't straight white men um yep <laughs> so here's yeah. to us being so successful that we get to <laughs> make all these dreams come true all these like beautiful uh, shops because i mean i'm you know, i'm with you that's it's it took me a while to get to a point to understand that it's almost my responsibility to become mm-hmm. successful enough so that i can hire only members of the LGBTQ community with a uh, uh, focus on those of color. That is my, that is my goal. And that is because I want to, I, in order to be the change, I have to become successful. Um, and to become successful though, I will also not 
not stand for my values. I'm not going to stand there and say, I don't believe this just to become successful so I can do this thing over here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about you and your presence on social media and and podcasting because I think that what I am afraid is happening with a lot of makers and people who are especially trying to get more content creation recognition is if you are like queer or you are a woman you and you have whatever um beliefs about racial justice that you're not speaking up on it because you're afraid to lose followers you know that people are so after getting likes and getting clients that um that we we forget that like it is our responsibility um and for everyone that experiences some kind of oppression you also experience some kind of privilege and so whether it's like us as white folks still saying you know like this is important racism is real brianna taylor's killers are still free um that we do that and the reality is like we're not risking a lot you know like the risk for me as a white woman saying that black lives matter is like okay maybe some people unfollow me like right big deal. <laughs> right you know like maybe then somebody who is a prospective client sees that and doesn't hire me but I do i want to work with them in the first place like no and the reality is that it's like then you do have somebody who does see that and appreciates it that mm-hmm. it makes a big difference you know like being a woodworker getting new to the industry it brings me a lot of joy and confidence to see other women do this, to see other queer people do it. Um, and so it, the impact is, even if it's just a little, it's all collective. It's all. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie because I'm not, I'm not perfect. I, it did. I took a moment of pause before I spoke. But my concern was not about losing followers. My concern was about doing right by my friends of color. Mm -hmm. I did not want to do something that negatively impacted them. That is who I was thinking of before, you know, in that moment of pause and finding the words. You know, I just, uh, it took time for me to process and find any kind of words whatsoever. But it has, uh, brought me to be adamant about things like calling out some of my white friends who mm-hmm. have a bigger platform than me on these things and saying, I didn't see you post anything. And as your friend, it's your, res- I'm telling you, it's your responsibility because I know you care about these other people of color in our community. You're friends with them as well. It's your responsibility to use your platform for good and pushing them. Some listened and some didn't. That's their choice, but it's my job to push. It's also my job to whenever I get something, whether it's speaking engagement, whether it's um, product from a brand, I've already started pushing and saying, thank you for the opportunity. However, I can't take it unless you're going to also give this same opportunity to a person of color. And here's a list of people that I know would fit your brand, you know, and being able to say, here's who's available for that to fit Mm -hmm. your brand and to also meet this requirement that I have. And I'm small potatoes. 
<laughs> so it's it's going to mean that I probably lose stuff and I'm okay with yeah. that because guess what I'm not successful yet anyways and I don't want to get to be successful knowing that I didn't do everything I could do the entire way up because yeah. we don't again we don't change things unless we start with ourselves and yeah, so I think sure. that's needed all a hundred thousand ten percent yeah I'm here with you, you know, <laughs> and I think part of it is like, we don't all have to be out in the streets every day. We don't all have to be doing this work for full-time paid work right. like myself, but there are ways that we all have an impact um, and collectively we, things do change, you know, and yep. it's yep. like that duality. Things are getting worse and things are getting better at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, here we go. I That's appreciate right. you, you know, <laughs> using your, your little small potatoes platform. My small potatoes be platform. Potatoes <laughs> My small potatoes platform. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Really, I am. Um, well, you know, Eleanor, I appreciate you letting me throw out words like patriarchal system and, <laughs> and to talk about race and such um, with me. Uh, and I appreciate you taking that risk on yourself as well. Um, Cause I understand what safe space is and what safe space is not. So I do dearly appreciate you being willing to chat with me and keep it real um, on the podcast episode, but I yeah. want to make sure that you get a chance to shout out how everyone can follow along with you and see all your awesome turnings and see how you like apologize for killing the bugs that destroy your pieces. Unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor little bugs. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was like really fun and I'm sure this will continue this relationship, supporting each other, shouting each mm -hmm. other out. Um, you know, starting a business. I've been, trying to be better about social media and posting so um people can find me at eleanor modern woodworks on instagram um and i'm sure you'll share that because yep. people spell eleanor like a million different ways <laughs> but if you want to see me you'll find me um, right. <laughs> i'm around um yeah and so i'll be posting more of my little adventures in my wood shop um, and pretty soon launching a website where people can send, can buy some bowls, some wood turn stuff. Um, and hopefully once we get this big shop going, you'll see um, some bigger furniture pieces as well. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, you get to work in that space. Um, though I do, I do like the bowls you turn. I appreciate the uh, appreciation of turning. It will never be me, but I appreciate the appreciation of turning. Um, well, if you ever want to rewrite your like traumatic <laughs> experience, having morning sickness, turning, <laughs> sounds very dizzying and uncomfortable. We can do that sometime when things are calmer. Hopefully yes. Soon. Yes. But I also have fun stories like, you know, uh, feeling the first flutters while at a uh, flutters of baby inside while at a lathe. So things like Ooh. that are also fun. It's not all about morning sickness, but yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks so much.
Yeah. All right. So again, that was Eleanor Dewey, who's a woodturner in Denver, Colorado. Thanks so much for checking out the interview with her. I really enjoyed my time chatting with her. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, which now has two weekly episodes, one on Wednesday, which is the Wonder Women segment, it includes interviews with female and non-binary makers of all sorts. And then the Friday episode is an interview with a fellow maker mom, and that maker can be a maker of any kind, woodworker, metalworker, jewelry maker, any kind of maker. Um, so make sure you check that out. If you really are enjoying the podcast and want to help support it, there's one really quick, easy way that you can do that, and that is to make sure that you hit subscribe wherever you are listening to or watching this podcast on. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Then if you can head over to iTunes or on YouTube and leave either a comment or a five-star review, that really helps with the algorithm and for more people to find the podcast and learn about all of these amazing female makers. All right, so that's the quickest, easiest way. It doesn't cost you anything, and it really does help out, and I really do appreciate it. Now, if you're a super fan of the podcast and you want to do some sort of ongoing support of it, please go ahead and check out Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Maker Mom Podcast. There's a few different tier levels over there that you can check out, a one, three, five dollar tier level, and then a $30 a month tier level which makes you an official sponsor of the podcast. And last but not least, there's always merchandise you can purchase as well. And just head on over to my personal uh, designer maker website, freemanfurnishings.com forward slash shop, and you can buy a Maker Mom podcast tee. All right, until next week, I will see you later.